Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Today is Thursday, January 16, 2020. This is Roland Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from St. Louis, Missouri. On today's show, we will talk with Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner. She, of course, has been giving folks hell here, and she's also fighting back, filing a federal lawsuit saying there are forces in this city impeding her progress to do her job. We will talk with her live right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Also today in Washington, D.C., lots of drama there as the impeachment proceedings, actually the trial of Donald Trump, begins today as the House lays out their case. Why Republicans so scared to hear additional evidence after we see what has been uncovered? Well, because they want to protect Donald Trump. Uh, in our series 1619 to 2019, Still Seeking Freedom, we'll talk about all black towns in the state of Oklahoma. Also uh, on today's show, a uh, Republican witness in the congressional hearing says black folks don't know much about the ability to own homes. What the hell is she talking about? Also on the show, we'll tell you about the newest inductees in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It is time to bring the funk on Roller Martin and Filter. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. 
Folks, a number of times on Roller Martin Unfiltered, we've told you about what has been happening here in St. Louis. You had two African-Americans who are the chief law enforcement officers here. Of course, you have Wesley Bell, who is district attorney. You also have Kim Gardner. White folks here have not been happy as a result. We've told you about those, those assistant DAs who decided to join a police union to all of a sudden unionize when the brother become, comes in as DA. Then, of course, Kim Gardner has been fighting folks over the Lamar Johnson case, trying to get this, look, she's established that he did not commit this crime. Attorney General of the state, others stopped him from doing her job. Well, earlier this week, we told you about the federal lawsuit that she filed against a number of entities uh, using a law that goes back to 1871. Well, of course, I was here in St. Louis for the MLK program uh, sponsored by the uh, St. Louis Urban League and St. Louis University, as well as the company Centene Corporation. So... Being here, why not talk to Kim Gardner? She joins me right now uh, on Roland Martin Unfiltered. How you doing? How you doing? Thank you for having me. Glad to have you here. So when were you first elected? 2016. Okay, so it's been four years. Um, it is as if you have been under this continuous assault, uh, fighting with folks, having to go, to go to court just to do the job you were elected by the people to do. Well, I mean, when you're a reform-minded prosecutor, as, as we are the rare, I was the first African-American female ever to be elected in the circuit attorney's office. I was the first African-American um, in the St. Louis region. So when you are the first, you have challenges. But this is why this lawsuit is so important, because day one, there has been a powerful few who have decided to silence the will of the people, and that's what this lawsuit is about. And, and even before you file this lawsuit, uh, I mean, you know, this this back and forth uh, questioning whether you had jurisdiction to do the job at the previous uh, uh, attorney was able to do unimpeded. I mean, it's funny that, you know, when you hear other reform-minded African-American female prosecutors talk about somehow our discretion is always criticized. It's always kind of uh, how do we have to ask for permission to do our job? And it's kind of important to note why is it that when this office existed since 1871 a prosecutor's discretion has been so important to the local jurisdiction no one has tried to impede or usurp that discretion but now all of a sudden when you have um, reform-minded prosecutors are we so comfortable to try to chip away and take their discretion uh, and it's not just frankly people in uh, this city who are doing that. You've had Attorney General William Barr, who has um, gone after um, reform-minded prosecutors. Donald Trump has done so as well. Uh, them essentially saying that uh, they, that y'all are the problem. You're going to cause a, an increase in crime across the country. So you now have, uh, again, the 
the attorney general of the United States and the president questioning whether or not you should be able to do your job. What's as much as devastating as that is for them to even say and signal to reform-minded cities who have reform-minded prosecutors that somehow, like you said, that we are creating the violence in our communities. They're saying that if the communities that elect us do not back down with the reform efforts, that somehow we should be afraid of having police protection. And that's why this lawsuit is so important, because this is talking about silencing the will of the people who want reform in the city of St. Louis and around this country, and there are different tactics that are used to stop that. So when you decided to file this federal lawsuit, um, there are entities that you laid out uh, who are blocking. Why did you uh, cast such a large net? Because I think in St. Louis particularly, we are the ground zero for the reform efforts and the reform conversations post-Ferguson. And it's also disturbing that we actually um, have the first African-American circuit attorney as well as now um, prosecuting attorney Wesley Bell in the county. But it's also important to note that this, this uh, ground zero of reform conversation is not happening in our region where we started the conversation. And we have a small few of individuals who have gotten together to collectively stop reform efforts. And this suit is not just about Kim Gardner. This is about any reform minded prosecutor who happens to be elected, who says that you have a group of individuals who want to stop that reform. And this can be used not only in St. Louis, but around this country. Uh, the mayor's spokesman has said that uh, your lawsuit is meritless. The city says they'll be vindicated. You've laid out a variety of people, the St. Louis Police Office Association uh, and a number of others. Um, for folks who don't understand, I mean, you know, what are some of the things that they have been doing to thwart you from doing your job? Well, first of all, I want to speak to that. The, the mayor's spokesperson said it was frivolous, which is different. And that's why we are we have an adversarial proceeding who will make that determination of whether this lawsuit is frivolous. But we have um, actually the Ethical Society of Police yesterday came out and stated that there is um, racial instances on the police department that need to be weeded out. There are sentiments of Jeff Rorta, who is the SLPOA union uh, business representative, who has stated time and time again, I should be physically removed and basically said to the other um, African-American female prosecutors that we need to go back to our respective jurisdictions. So this type of racial divisiveness that has been allowed from day one to continue, it builds a, the growing mistrust with the whole criminal justice system. And what is at stake is people in the community in which I represent, they feel like the system is rigged. And so we have to, as prosecutors, as the people, Enough is enough, and that's why this lawsuit is so important. We have instances where we have a Luther Hall, an officer who was undercover during the Stockley protests, who was beaten, beaten, and it characterized in his lawsuit, I can't speak to that because I haven't seen it fully, that he was beaten like Rodney King. Mm. And he's an African-American police officer. He was undercover, so they didn't undercover. know who he was. So we have some issues. I'm not saying that every um, hardworking men and women in the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department is racist, but there are some issues where there are individuals that have done some racist things, like the Plain View Project. We also are in the news for that, where we had 20-something officers who had put out on Facebook um, certain um, racial, homophobic um, type of uh, Facebook messages 
that is a problem. And I ask the people of the city of St. Louis want us to, one, hold officers and anyone accountable who breaks the law. This suit is about equal protection for everyone mm -hmm. under the laws of not just this state, but this country. A group of black female prosecutors certainly came together, held a news conference, wrote an op-ed in support of you. Uh, and folks, uh, check this out. So uh, Marilyn Mosby's office, she's the Baltimore State's attorney, uh, they released this audio recording uh, after they held a news conference earlier this week uh, of one of the most vile things you heard targeting her because she dared to stand up in support of Kim Gartner. We're going to play this for you. So uh, listen to this, folks, and just under be aware of the language you're about to hear. How dare you come to St. Louis and say you got the back of that lousy bitch, state's attorney Kim Gardner? She is just like you. That's why birds of a feather, bitches. That's what you are. You hate cops, you hate white people, you do everything you can to give all the blacks who are criminals every benefit of the doubt, and everybody else is suspect. Black lives only matter when a white person takes it. You blacks can kill each other all you want. In fact, I think that's the grand solution. We need to start driving around the ghettos and just dropping boxes of bullets on every street corner. Let them take each other out. Things were much better in this world, in this country, when everybody stayed in their own goddamn neighborhoods by dusk. There's only one thing worse than a fat-ass, empowered black woman. That's a fat-ass, empowered black woman who's got public reins in her hands. If we'd known you all were going to be this much trouble, we would have picked our own fucking cotton. Marilyn Mosley released this statement. She said, the voicemail I received after my trip to Missouri to support Circuit Attorney Kim Gartner was outrageous, but not surprising. Kim knows that people in positions of power also think like this. These are the types of attacks we encounter every day as women of color in a position of authority. And I travel to St. Louis because this is the unfortunate experience of black female prosecutors everywhere. It's deeply disturbing that in 2020, we still have to experience such blatant racism but this hateful rhetoric only strengthens my resolve to continue fighting for justice and working to undo the blight of mass incarceration and its impact on communities of color. Uh, have you had to endure these type of voicemails and calls uh, since you've been in office? Yes, it's unfortunate that for African-American female prosecutors that this is a normal occurrence for us. I've been called everything under the sun. I've been called racial epithets that I've never even heard of. Um, I was stopped on Christmas Eve because I had no lights on. I was held for over 15 minutes. And it's, it's what we are facing is even different from our other colleagues in the reform movement um, who are similar race in their different gender. So that is an issue that we as African-American female prosecutors, unfortunately, we have, we have these day and day occurrences. We, people feel entitled to talk about us in ways that is not only just sexist, it, it shows the, the, that we need to do better in our communities, and we have to understand that when you have a Jeff Rorder in my jurisdiction, for example, who gets on a radio station and says, I should be removed by force, and this is someone that people listen to and put on a, in the media to act like he is a, uh, some kind of authority on um, a lawful police officer. He is a, a fired police officer for making a false police report. So he is not credible at all, but that is somehow someone that they turn to 
some people, not all people in the police department, but he is the business manager. I asked why. Why is he the, he's there? He's so racially divisive. He says all kind of things unchecked without any repercussions. But what is at stake is I know individuals who say we can't get a fair shake in the criminal justice system. It makes it difficult for prosecutors to hold anyone accountable that preys on their community when they don't trust the whole system. It's not just police, it's the whole system. And his words cause more harm for police officers who put their life on the line every day to do the job, to protect and serve. And there's a lot of good police officers, but we cannot allow the powerful few to do these things. We cannot stop the reform efforts that the people of the city of St. Louis and now St. Louis County have said we want. And that's why this suit is so important because it is in Missouri, one in three African-American men will have some kind of brush with the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. We have in this in this state alone, 91% of the people stopped and searched in this state are African-American or people of color. We also have a police, a police um, statistics that came out in 2016 by the Ethical Society of Police saying over 80% of the arrests in, in our jurisdiction alone are African-Americans or people of color. So tell me, we have to do better. We must do better. It's about justice. Last question. Do you believe that they're trying to force you to resign? Uh, and obviously, uh, you're not going to give them that satisfaction. What they're trying to do is intimidate. They're trying to make an example because this is what they're doing. And that's why this suit is so important. This is saying if you try to reform the system and you go against the status quo, we will make an example. We will make you an example of a night ride. And we know what that is. How dare you? try to implement the reforms that the people put you in place. So it's not about a Kim Gardner, whether I'm here or not, and hopefully I am here. But I want to make sure that a Kim Gardner can come behind and continue this work, because this is not about just Kim Gardner. This is a civil rights movement. This is the right thing to do to address the broken system that we all know we need to fix. Mass incarceration has not made us safe. We need to look at how we are smart on crime, not just tough on crime. And we do not have a good track record of locking everybody up. Kim Gardner. Thank you so we'll much. appreciate it. Appreciate thanks you. a bunch. Thank we'll keep covering this. Me. Thank All right. You. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you. I want to go to my panel there in D.C. Julian Malvo, of course, uh, President Emeritus of Bennett College, uh, also an economist. Dr. Greg Carr is Chair of the Department of Afro-American Studies at Howard University and Kelly Bethea, a communications strategist. Julian, I'll start with you. Uh, we have seen the attacks on Aramis Ayala in Florida, Marilyn Mosby in Baltimore, Kim Fox in Chicago, Kim Gardner here. Uh, you've put in Larry Krasner in Philadelphia. As I said, uh, Attorney General Barr, even Donald Trump, they have put a bullseye on progressive prosecutors. Uh, this is what we can expect if Donald Trump gets four more years. You know, the issue, Roland, is that we have seen the unequivocal differences in the way that, uh, basically, the way that uh, law enforcement is imposed. So when the sister you're talking to, when any of us are dealing, what we're seeing is the differences, the serious differences. And so while on one hand you say, let's have law and order, on the other hand, you have a differential law and order. And as she said, when we have people of color, women of color, black folks of color, coming in as uh, basically attorney generals, as prosecutors, they don't have the leverage often 
that others do. So I am really grateful for this opportunity to lift this sister up. But even more than that, I think it's really important for us to look at what has happened in our community to the way that people, especially young people, Roland, especially young people. We have people who are 16 and 17 years old who are in jail for life. Excuse my language, for bullshit. And that's because that's what folks can do. So forgive me for going on a little longer, but I just really do, this is frightening. It is frightening. And it's also uh, affirming that this sister and so many others are dealing with this. Gotcha. Kelly, again, what you mean, these are black women, largely black women in many of these places uh, who they are targeting. And as Kim Gardner said, they are trying to intimidate them. And thankfully, it's not working. Um, that Ken Garner is still pursuing the fight to not only maintain her place as attorney general, but she's really paving the way for future women attorneys uh, vying for that spot in the future, because this is absolutely ridiculous that you have an entire sect of the criminal justice system happening to be the most outward-facing sect of said system, having the Sorry, most xenophobic bias. Um, that is not only troubling, it should, it should absolutely be eliminated. Um, you can also, you can trace back um, this kind of bias to, honestly, the origin of the police department in St. Louis, uh, one of them being mm-hmm. the fact that they were, you know, there to hunt uh, the enslaved and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, perpetuate racial biases and uphold Jim Crow laws. So this isn't necessarily surprising to me in terms of the ra- in terms of the uh, history of the racism with this department, but it is troubling to me that it is now 2020 and it's still being perpetuated generation after generation after generation. Um, I commend Kim Gardner for uh, fighting the good fight. Uh, down in her jurisdiction, but I also commend Marilyn Mosby for uh, standing by her her sister-in-law and making sure that she is supported not only in that jurisdiction, but honestly nationwide. But we all have to Greg surround Carr, this. This people. is oh, one second, one second. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Greg Carr, uh, again. Um, you know, Kim Gardner has been here since 2016. Uh, first of all, they even challenged pointed special prosecutors investigate her when she investigated Governor Eric Greitens, who was forced to resign uh, when it came to some pictures he took of a woman he was having an affair with. Uh, And to see people challenging the authority of an an elected DA, that's what she is, is a circuit attorney. She's the DA of the city of St. Louis. Wesley Bell is the county. Uh, what they are saying is, guess what? Oh, you're black? No, no, no. You're not going to get to be able to enjoy the power of the office like others did. Well, that's exactly right, Roland. Uh, and I want to add uh, my commendation to what uh, Dr. Malvo and what Sister Bethea said. Really, really a whole lot of respect for Kim Gardner. Um, shout out to her alma mater, Harris Stowe, founded in 1857. Uh, 1857, the same year that the university that she graduated from was started, Roger Taney said in the Dred Scott decision mm-hmm. from the Supreme Court that Dred and Harriet Scott and their two little girls in St. Louis had no rights that white people are bound to respect. And from 1857 to today, that remains the case in white supremacist America. The glorious thing about our our sister, the circuit attorney for the city of St. Louis, is that she is fighting with both fists balled up. What a brilliant lawsuit to use one of the underused statutes in the playbook 
the, uh, the Third Reconstruction Act of 1871, also known as the Ku Klux Klan Act. When that oh. act was enacted, uh, Ulysses Grant was president of the United States, and they basically used that act and the department that was started the year before that with the second act of 1870, which was the Department of Justice, to put the Ku Klux Klan out of business in states like South Carolina. They crippled the Klan so bad that the Klan did not reemerge until 1915. Now, what's the lesson we should learn from this? The Ku Klux Klan Act was enacted in part, the one that she is using now in this, in this, in this lawsuit with the 14th Amendment and other pieces, was enacted because they were going around the country trying to stop black people from voting through violence. Once we get the ballot, we can now advance to the next issue. This is where I'm going to close. Once you voted, once you put these powerful black women in place, now we get down to the real issue. The real issue isn't voting, although voting gets us to the real issue. The real issue is that some of these clans, people like that woman who called up, much respect to her because you've dropped all pretenses now. This was mm -hmm. never about democracy. This was about power. And sister, we back you. We're in front of you. We're on both sides. And let's just get it down. Drop all our gloves and fight because this thing ain't there never going to have any shared you know, understanding of democracy. And, and, Thank you, Sister so, Gordon. This is so and, and, that, and, that, and that is the thing that Greg I need people, and that's out. the thing I need people to, one second, one second, one second, hold on. And that's the thing I need people to understand that when I stayed, stayed on this show, I said this when Obama was elected, that the election is the end of one process and it's the beginning of another. What this requires is for us is to be able to say after we have elected people that we also still stand with you and still support you and will come to your defense. I dare say there should be protests in St. Louis uh, from black folks standing with Kim Gardner similar to what you see in Hong Kong because we have to send the message that what you're not going to do is ignore African-Americans who are elected and not allow them to do their job. And what we have to understand is that as we are seeing the demographics of this country shift and change, we're going to see more of this because Frederick Douglass said, power concedes nothing, nothing a without a never. demand, never have and never will. And so we must understand exactly exactly what's going on. Spe speaking of that, folks, when you talk about uh, what's happening here and also how do you focus on what is the rule of law? Of course, today, uh, the impeachment proceedings, actually, Donald Trump was impeached in the House, but the articles of impeachment were taken over to, to the United States Senate. Actually, it was a black woman who walked them over and presented them last night to the U.S. Senate.
Of course, that sister, that is, her name is Cheryl Johnson, uh, and she presented the Articles of Impeachment, 1,416-word document, uh, to the United States House. Uh, it was today uh, when it all began. Chief Justice John Roberts was sworn in. The United States Senate was sworn in. And it's left up to Adam Schiff, Congressman Adam Schiff, uh, to kick things off, laying out exactly why the House impeached Donald Trump. With the permission of the Senate, I will now read the Articles of Impeachment, House Resolution 755. House Resolution 755, impeaching Donald John Trump, President of the United States, for high crimes and misdemeanors. Resolved that President, that Donald J. Trump, President of the United States, is impeached for high crimes and misdemeanors, and that the following Articles of Impeachment be exhibited to the United States Senate. Articles of impeachment exhibited by the House of Representatives of the United States of America in the name of itself and of the people of the United States of America against Donald John Trump, President of the United States of America, in maintenance and support of its impeachment against him for high crimes and misdemeanors. Article 1, Abuse of Power. The Constitution provides that the House of Representatives shall have the sole power of impeachment and that the President shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. Article 2, Obstruction of Congress. The Constitution provides that the House of Representatives shall have the sole power of impeachment and that the President shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. The managers request that the Senate take order for the trial. The managers now request leave to withdraw. Now, of course, Greg Carr, they were sworn in and they were supposed to be impartial. You've already heard Mitch McConnell mm -hmm. say he's not going to be impartial. Donald Trump is mad, upset, tweeting in all caps. Oh, my God, I got impeached for a simple phone call. We now have, of course, the evidence presented by the goons who worked with Rudy Giuliani. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You have the goons who worked with Rudy Giuliani now presenting their information. And, Greg, to have United States senators say, well, no, we don't need any new evidence. The House actually has enough. I mean, these people refuse to hold this man accountable and it shows exactly their lack of character, their lack of morality, their lack of values, <laughs> their lack of judgment, their lack of leadership. Well, Roland, it has stripped down to the basic question. Uh, this is really a tr American democracy is on trial. I mean, mm -hmm. when Nancy Pelosi put that team together, let's set aside Schiff and uh, Jerry Nadler for a second. Let's look at the other uh, five. Jason Crow out of Colorado. This is one of those intelligence Democrats. So you've now shown that the intelligence community clearly says what you've done. You got Val Demings, of course, who is the police. Let's be very clear uh -huh. about that. The this sister's like, because you got the serious sister. Then you got Sylvia Garcia out of Texas, who, again, you got the Latino in the coalition. Uh, she also is a graduate of Texas Southern Law School. And, of course, Akeem Jeffries. And then Zoe Lofgren, who goes all the way back to the Nixon piece. So she's got her team. Basically, what she's saying is, 
any rational human being in this country, this is an open and shut case. So what are y'all doing? As you said, when John Roberts walked over there this afternoon, who looked like he lost his last friend before he put the robe on to swear him in, the minute he got up, took that oath from Chuck Grassley, <laughs> the oldest piece of architecture left over there, this white supremacist out of Iowa, he turned around and swore those senators in, Two senators committed perjury, as they said we will, and that was Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell. They have already violated the lie oath they took. What's left? The only thing left is the trial of American democracy. And as this thing unfolds, as Adam Schiff lays this case out, as he began to do today, what we're going to see is that everybody in this country is going to find out that the law don't mean a damn thing if you don't have the power to back it up with enforcement. You know, the, Kelly. the worst of it, I'm sorry, Kelly, go ahead. Yes. Were Kelly, then Julian. Kelly? Um, no, I agree with Dr. Carr here. It's it's just one of those, like, I, the pop and circumstance um, helps in terms of just making it as formal and traditional as possible. But like uh, Dr. Carr was saying, uh, McConnell and Lindsey Graham, they already said that they weren't going to do this. So what is the point? Um, you know, everything else that's happening right now, again, it's just pomp and circumstance at this point. I feel like we already know what's going to happen when it comes to this trial. And I would be very, very shocked if the Republicans actually, you know, do their jobs and listen and actually consider the evidence and, you know, like I said, do their jobs and actually uh, convict Trump of of these uh, high uh, crimes and misdemeanors. Um, one person that I was listening to earlier today on CNN, uh, uh, Joe Walsh, he's running uh, for president against uh, uh, Trump on the Republican side. And he's one of the very few uh, Republicans out there who's saying, look, this isn't about party. This is about country. And, this, and you're absolutely right, Dr. Carr. This is a fight for our democracy and the preservation of it. And if we do not actually act in that kind of manner, I fear for what's going to happen on the other side of this, not only beyond, uh, not only uh, during this election for 2020, mm -hmm. but beyond. Mm -hmm. Roland, I have two points to make. The first point I want to make is a point about what Kelly and Greg have said about the ways that we have essentially allowed, um, my sister has a word called catawampus. <laughs> it's like stuff does not align perfectly. My sister Mariette Malvo, and she always says, this is not catawampus. So none of this aligns perfectly, and I just want to lift that up. And what we're seeing is the lack of alignment. Kelly has spoken to it in terms of how we're dealing with it. Greg has spoken to it. Dr. Carr has spoken to it. But basically, we have uh, something that's unaligned. But the other thing that's more important, as far as I'm concerned, is the extent to which we've allowed a narrative to come in and to basically uh, realign what's going on. Mm. So it's a new a narrative. So we're allowing that. Now, Having said both of those things, which I think do segue, what I think is so important at this moment and where we are is that we need to create a new narrative. And in creating a new narrative, we need to talk about who, what, when, where, and why. Yes. And we have not seen us create that narrative. And so we've allowed other people to create the narrative. 
if we want to reinvent the narrative, we must talk about people like Barbara Lee, who essentially did not go for the okey-doke. We must talk about people like Maxine Waters, who continue to lift it up. We must talk about folks like Jim Clyburn, hmm. who, with his measured way, has said, this ain't happening. And so what we have here, Got it. right here, right now, is a, um, what can I say? It's an important diversion from a narrative that is unacceptable. And so I think when you look at... Let me at just hear, folks, uh, hold on a second. I, I, I got to jump in here. I got, I got to jump in here. This just came down uh, just a couple hours ago. Uh, headline in Miami Herald, State Supreme Court agrees with the Florida legislature. Felons must pay all costs to regain vote. Remember, we talked about Amendment 4, uh, and this is just some breaking news here. So the, so the Florida Supreme Court, they have sided with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and Republican lawmakers. They argued that in order to get the right to vote back, all court-ordered fees, fines, and restitution before registering to vote must be paid back. This is a setback to those, of course, who voted for Amendment 4. Uh, this is the ACLU. They had filed this lawsuit uh, against, against the legislature. Uh, and this is what the court said, quote, We conclude that the phrase, when read and understood in context, plainly refers to obligations and includes all, not some, LOL, LLFOs, legal financial obligations imposed in conjunction with an, with an adjudication of guilt. Uh, and so, again, uh, some, some many believe this is going to undercut uh, a lot of uh, Amendment 4, which passed by two-thirds of the voters. But uh, also keep in mind that uh, in terms of the number of people at this impacted, uh, it actually is a very small number in terms of the folks who have uh, significant fines paid back. But it also goes to show you, uh, Kelly, this is what happens when Republicans, uh, they are scared to death, scared to death of change. And they, are, they were scared to death of Amendment 4. And what would happen if upwards of 1.4 million people got the right to vote back? This is absolutely heartbreaking. I, for the life of me, do not understand how that decision from the Florida Supreme Court is not a version of voter suppression. If the whole point is to rehabilitate prisoners, when they come out, they should have their citizenship back. It shouldn't have uh, been taken away from them in the first place. But, you know, for all intents and purposes, they should have the right to vote back. They should have every right um, bestowed upon an American citizen back, and that includes the right to vote. You should not have to pay to vote. If mm -hmm. it were somebody, you know, not in jail, and you just said, hey, you got to pay all your legal fees, like you, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Can you imagine if you had um, somebody on child support and they are, you know, owed in arrears and you're saying I have to pay everything back in order to vote in this local election or national election or statewide election. That doesn't make any sense to me because your money shouldn't be tied Got to it. your citizenship. So, hmm. you know, Florida, get it together. Hmm. But you know, it's not about... But here's the thing, Greg. What's, import what's important here, what's important... One second. What's important here for us to understand hmm. is that 
the folks who actually got Amendment 4 on. It shows you the power of the ballot initiative and how regular, ordinary people can actually uh, affect change. I would hope, Greg, that we see African Americans in other states use the power of the ballot initiative, use grassroots initiative to be able to enact such, such change. Absolutely, and to use it again in Florida. I mean, you know, the, the, the election that was stolen by DeSantis from Andrew Gillum uh, led to this in part because they are terrified and they should be terrified because we're getting ready to run over them like the mighty wave. Uh, the age of the white supremacists, the backs of the white supremacists is about to be broken by demographics. And they, so they, they, I respect them for their last ditch effort to hold on to their tiny worldviews. But let's look at this in terms of debt. Mississippi, there's an article in the New York Times a few days ago that talked about the fact that they've got a, a similar kind of debt prison thing going on, an arrangement where they're locking people up who owe money to the state. And they're one of the few states that are doing that. But, in, but see, we have to understand that in this country, the concept of citizenship congeals around the, the concept of property. Property is the center of the Western legal worldview, and particularly here in the United States. So when you look at the 13th Amendment, when it says slavery or involuntary servitude, except as punishment for a crime of which the person should have been duly convicted, what you've said is there are uh, shades and dimensions of citizenship. Once you've fallen out of the legal universe and have diminished citizenship, meaning your property interest has transferred from being just a citizen to being property of the state, in other words, then you have to fight your way back into citizenship. Now, if this was somebody who wasn't convicted of a crime, this would be a poll tax. Exactly what Kelly said. You can't do that. That's illegal. You get a 15th Amendment argument there, or you can go through the Voting Rights Act subject to the 14th Amendment. But this is the 13th Amendment we're talking about, because now you have what you have is diminished citizens. They are returning citizens, and the state can technically do this. How do you break their back finally in doing this? You go back to the polls, you pass exactly the statute you want, and you flush that Klansman governor out and turn the legislature in Florida, which they know is coming. Please, Floridians, please, Mississippians, Alabamians, Tennesseans, and all over this country, run these white supremacists out with step one, going to the ballot box, and when they and then when they raise their heads to fight you, meet them everywhere, including the street. Because you see now, these are your open enemies. You know, the issue... Uh, Julianne, real quick. Yeah. The issue is predatory capitalism. The issue is the extent to which you take extra value from black, brown, poor people because you can. And so when you look at some place like Florida in terms of what's happening with the people who have been essentially not exonerated but essentially told they can vote, when you look at our prison industrial, industrial complex and the ways that people basically have their voting rights, working rights, other rights extracted, we don't talk about that enough. I mean, there are words that people, black and white people, won't use. We won't talk about capitalism. Got it. And we won't talk about predatory capitalism. Right. We won't talk about what socialism means. I ain't talking about Bernie because he he's not a socialist. Bernie is a Bernieist. But, um, but what I want to talk about is the extent to which we have allowed, especially black people, black men and women, to be exploited because predatory capitalism allows that. Got it.
Well, folks, uh, again, we certainly uh, appreciate the work of Desmond Mead and Sheena Mead, and we'll keep you updated on exactly uh, what happens with that in the future. Coming up next, our uh, Still Seeking Freedom segment, 1619 to 2019. We'll talk about all black towns in Oklahoma next on Roller Martin Unfiltered. You want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. All right, folks, uh, from 1865 to 1920, African-Americans created more than 50 identifiable towns and settlements. 13 of them are still alive in Oklahoma. These all-black towns represent a unique chapter in American history, according to the Oklahoma Historical Society. Uh, no other place in the Deep South or the Far West uh, had more African-American men and women uh, come together to create, occupy, and govern their own Towns. Joining me right now to discuss this is uh, Hannibal Johnson. He is the chair of the Education Committee for the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre Centennial Commission. And Hannibal, this is something that I think, um, uh, you know, we know about the movie Rosewood. Uh, I know that there are towns in Texas. Uh, Barrett Station is one of those towns. There, there are places in Virginia where this happened. And so, I mean, these were places that were built from the ground up that black folks started uh, and controlled. That's absolutely correct. Uh, one of the more interesting notions at the, at the end of the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century, was that if African Americans could simply prove their industriousness, their ability to be self-governing, then white racism would abate. And that sounds fanciful by 2020 standards, but that was a, that was a real philosophy promoted by the likes of Booker T. Washington and others. So part of the impetus for these towns was to be self-governing, to, to prove independence, uh, to escape the hostility that folks faced in the Deep South, and to thereby help um, abate the kind of rigorous and vicious white racism that existed more generally. Also, Oklahoma was an important part of, of this development because the perception that Oklahoma was a place rife with economic opportunity because of the abundance of land. Oklahoma becomes a state in 1907. Prior to that, it was Indian Territory. And one of the unique features about the black presence in Oklahoma is the fact that the so-called five civilized tribes, the Cherokees, the Muscogee Creek, the Seminole, the Choctaw, and the Chickasaw, they were all slave-holding tribes. So on those famous marches to Oklahoma, those trails of tears, were a number of black migrants who were affiliated with those five tribes, many of them affiliated as enslaved persons. All the tribes sided with the, with the Confederacy during the Civil War and after the Civil War executed treaties with the federal government that, uh, that required that they free their enslaved Africans and incorporate them into the tribes. And all the tribes did that with the exception of the Chickasaws. And, um, and when you think about this very unique history, um, these, some of these towns are still active and alive today. 
Do you st and, and so do you, are you, do you still see the presence, though, of African-Americans governing those places? Yes. Uh, in some of the towns, the, the premier town in Oklahoma has been and, and perhaps still is Bowley. So Bowley was founded in, in 1903 and still exists um, as a much smaller version of its, its prior self. Bowley at one point boasted 5,000 residents. Now it's about a tenth of that. And the supreme irony in Bowley is that one of the larger employers in the community is the John Lilly Correctional Institute, a prison. And, and guess who is well represented in the context of that prison? Some of the very uh -huh. African-Americans who ostensibly thought to escape the kind of uh, restrictions on their liberty in the Deep South. That's part of the reason they migrated to, to Oklahoma in the first instance. But the black towns that exist, about a dozen or so today, are small uh, communities struggling to survive, um, struggling to secure the kind of infrastructure that will sustain the town, and ultimately struggling with maintaining young folk. Young folk who grew up in these towns, they want to wind up in the metropolitan areas of Oklahoma City and, and Tulsa. And, and really have little interest in staying in these towns. So the towns really struggle for survival. One of the things that the towns have been doing is working together to create a cultural tourism experience. In other words, to leverage their rich history such that people who want to engage around history, and there are people like that all around the United States, and actually see the remnants of these towns, can come to these communities and ideally contribute financially to, to the health, well-being, and sustainability of these communities while they're there. Greg Carr, you got a question? Yeah, you know, and first of all, Brother Johnson, thank you for your work over the years. I mean, your book, Black Wall Street, the book you did on Greenwood, and uh, I think it was Acres of Aspiration, where you write about these towns. I mean, just thank you. You know, I don't know if you got a chance to see the HBO recent uh, mini-series uh, Watchmen which wraps, begins with Tulsa and kind of runs through the thread. You know, just out of curiosity, what do you think a show like that, putting Tulsa at the center of a kind of a futurist narrative, does for spreading the word about what happened in Tulsa? Well, I, I think most people I've talked to found that the opening scene, that sort of five-minute segment, uh, that's kind of a reenactment, reimagination of the massacre, is quite compelling. So when I see something like that that is, that, that is based in truth, based in fact, I hope that it encourages the viewers to actually seek out the actual history. I appreciate the artistic license that was taken by, by Watchmen. It, 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 it brings in viewers, but I want those viewers to actually go back and look at the actual history and understand that history is not past, history is present. So there's a legacy in the, in the Tulsa community today based on what happened back in 1921, almost 100 years ago. But you know, my brother... Uh, do, you a, do you have a question there from Kelly or Julian? A question, real I short have a question. question or comment. The issue is uh, no, economic no, no, envy. No, no, I, I want, pick one. Okay. Pick one. Question the or comment. The issue is economic envy. The fact is Got that it, when I looked at the governor of Oklahoma's report on what happened, one of the conclusions was that too many N-words, and it was not the Negro word, had too much money. So right. how do you begin to reconcile economic envy with the story that you're telling? 
Go right ahead, sir. Um, and I think you can look at the sort of the economic dynamics in, in two ways. There was there was envy on the individual level because white supremacy prevailed. So poor white folks wondered what those N words across the tracks were doing with fine cars, fine homes, jewelry, um, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that's on one level. On the other level, uh, the Greenwood community, the black community, the black Wall Street community in Tulsa abuts downtown. It's, a rel- it's about a 35 square block area historically. Wow. Uh, and it was desired by industrial interests and railroad interests. So there was, there is some evidence that there was a, there was an effort afoot to remove the black population, push them further north. That's why some people, when they look at these events, they see not so much a riot, not so much a massacre, but a pogrom, an an intentional uh, removal of a population from their homelands uh, for, uh, based on surreptitious uh, grounds. Repairing the Um, Kelly, do you, uh, one second. One second. That, go, go ahead and finish. Go ahead and finish. I was saying, repairing the economic damage comment, that sir. happened uh, 100 years ago uh, is, I would say, well nigh impossible. But there are some mm. things that we can do um, in the way of infrastructure location, incentives from business leadership like the Tulsa Chamber uh, to, to, to put us in a better position. Uh, Kelly, real quick, do you have a question? Sure. Um, your your comment regarding the youth wanting to leave these small towns because of lack of infrastructure and opportunity, um, have any of those towns actually, you know, understood that predicament and are working to reconcile that issue? Um, if so, what what is happening in those towns? And if not, what do they need in order for that to happen? They are... Struggling. These are very small towns, by and large, a few hundred people. So, uh, be- because they have lost, for example, schools in these communities, and schools are kind of the community rallying point in a lot of communities across the United States, not just black communities. So, the loss of those schools, the loss of population, the lack of infrastructure, these are really, really high hurdles to, to, to get over. What the towns have done that makes a lot of sense to me is collaborating, hmm. collaborating as a collective of Oklahoma all black towns and seeing what kind of economic energy and synergy they can create, particularly, again, leveraging cultural or heritage tourism. Mm-hmm. All right, then. Well, first of all, sir, I, I am out of time. I certainly appreciate it. Uh, Hannibal Johnson, chair of the Education Committee of the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre Centennial Commission. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, folks, uh, real quick, a big congratulations to uh, the late Notorious B.I.G. and the late Whitney Houston, both of them, uh, some of the honorees inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, which will take place on May 2nd at the Public Auditorium in Cleveland, Ohio, and broadcast live on HBO. Folks, I have to uh, cut the short t- uh, show short this t- uh, today. Uh, I got to get out of here. I got to fly back to uh, Washington, D.C. Of course, I want to thank all the folks uh, at Centene, the Washington, uh, uh, excuse me, the St. Louis uh, Urban League, as well as 
uh, the folks with uh, St. Louis University. I spoke today at their MOK program, phenomenal program. If you missed it, we live streamed the speech. You can check that out. Later, I did a fireside chat at the at the Centene Corporation, thanks to my girl Erica McConduit. Uh, and so we will be able to uh, get that video and be able to stream that for you later. Uh, it was a great discussion we had about diversity and inclusion. I want to thank Greg, Julian, as well as uh, Kelly uh, there in the studio. I'm back uh, in the joint tomorrow. Folks, we got some great stuff lined up for you. Don't forget, please support what we do here at Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, again, who else? What other national show is uh, bringing you Kim Gartner talking about what she is going through, uh, showcasing what happens with Marilyn Mosby and others? This show is about putting uh, a black lens on what is happening in our community. But we need your support to make this happen. So please join our Bring the Funk fan club. Go to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com and do so. Uh, whatever you give, we certainly appreciate it. But our goal, though, is to get uh, as many folks, uh, 20000 in one year, to contribute 50 bucks each or $4.19 a day. Excuse me, a month, $0.13 cents a day. That's all it actually costs. And so you can do a one-time donation or do it recurring. We would certainly appreciate that. Uh, because uh, we want to keep this independent. We want to keep it black-owned, and we want to be able to have the editorial independence to bring you the kind of content that you need, that you want, that you desire, and so we certainly appreciate that. All right, folks, you have an absolute fabulous day. I got to go. Holla! From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville. Talladega, the Chicago street course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network.